0: Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I wanna talk to you today about the faithful God who promises we, we read about the life of Sarah. We read about the life of Abraham this week in previous weeks as well. And, and one of the messages is this, that they had confidence in God. They trusted God. They had faith in God and they considered him faithful who had made promises to them. This was a key to the life that, that they lived. And every one of us who loves Yeshua, every one of us, who loves the Jewish people, are, are taught that we need to pay special attention to Sarah and to Abraham. So I wanna read some passages from the scriptures that do that. And the first one is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, starting in verse eight. And where you see in your Bibles that it's, it's entitled Hebrews, you could really substitute Messianic Jews because that's a better way of thinking of it in modern terms. And it it would be honest and accurate in ancient terms as well. But it says about Abraham several things. It says, by faith, Abraham. And let's say that together. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went without knowing where he was going. Let me ask you a question. When called. When called by whom? By the Lord, Lord. that's right. So faith is not wishful thinking, faith is not uh, positive thinking and self-promotion or trying to to have the best spin and the most um, self-encouragement you can possibly rouse for yourself. Faith is a response of trust to God. And Abraham is responding by faith when he was called. The calling was from God. So we could read it this way. By faith, Abraham, when God called him to go to a place that Abraham would later receive as his own inheritance, he obeyed God and he went without knowing where he was going. Now, all of us who like to plan would probably find this a very difficult assignment. I want you to go somewhere, but I can't tell you where it is. Well, can you give me the destination? No, not gonna do that. But I will tell you along the way, and I'll help you get there. Verse nine, by faith, Abraham dwelt in the promised land as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. It says, by faith, Abraham dwelt in the promised land. And often we we use that phrase promised land as a way of describing Israel. It's a good way of describing it. But just say it to yourself, promised land. And why is it the promised land? It's the promised land because God promised this land. It's not because the land had promise, you know, like it had some potential. It was promised by God to Abraham. That's why it is the promised land. And is it the promised land today? Yes. It is continuing to be the promised land. By faith, he dwelt in the promised land as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. And let's repeat that phrase, same promise. Same promise. And then going to verse 11, by faith Sarah. And let's say that together, by faith Sarah. So you see, by faith Abraham, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah. This whole chapter is dedicated to faith. And faith, like I said earlier, is not cheerleading for yourself. It's not positive thinking. Faith is a response to God's initiative. By faith, Sarah, even though she was barren and beyond childbearing age, was enabled to conceive a child because. Now, if you're taking notes, you should write this word, because. And you should know what follows it, because it's important to understand why something happens. Because she considered him faithful, who had promised. Now there are two parts here, and it's worth looking at the 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 second part of the phrase first. Who had promised? Who had promised? You see, this was not something born just out of a desire that Sarah had. It wasn't born out of positive thinking or wishful thinking or even some kind of personal hope. It was born from something else. It was born from a promise that God made. And she took that promise seriously. God made a promise to her and she considered him faithful who had promised. That's the second part. God made a promise, and she considered him faithful. She considered that God who had made the promise was faithful. He would keep the promise. He would fulfill the promise. Human faith recognizes the faithfulness of God. It's not that it depends on your own self-talk. It's, it, it, it's not that you're trusting in yourself and your ability to master some spirituality that makes you above and beyond the rest of the world. It's that you serve a God who is Almighty God. You serve a God who can create out of nothing. You serve a God who tells the truth. You serve a God who loves. You serve a God who has no limits upon the good that he's able to accomplish. And when you consider him faithful regarding the promises he's made, then you're doing your part. Now, here's the the problem. Sometimes when people are waiting for the promise, they get tired. How many of you can relate to that? You're waiting because you don't yet have what you already want to have. And let me ask you a question. Do you have everything yet that God has promised to you? I don't. I hope you don't. I was recalling last night a time Sandy and I were were with uh, a couple also from America. We were flying on a pretty shop-worn Soviet aircraft from St. Petersburg, Russia, to Kiev, Ukraine, and it it was not the kind not the kind of airplane you would want to be on if you were scared of airplanes. <laughs> but even if you weren't, there were reasons to be unnerved, and the people who were flying with us had never been in Russia or Ukraine. Uh, I don't think they'd traveled overseas at all, and they hadn't been in. Any aircraft like this. And when it took off, they went into that roller coaster white knuckle mode. Do you know what I mean? Where you grab hold of the armrest with your hands and you squeeze as tight as you can until the, the blood circulation is cut off in your fingers and your hands go white. And they were in that condition for close to an hour. And Sandy and I, who had had many other experiences that, that made this one seem not so bad, we were sort of amused at their response. <laughs> there, was, there was a sign, even in English, on this airplane, and it was, it was at one of the emergency exits, and it said, in event of emergency, break window, Climb out with rope. (laughs) You know, none of the, there will be an inflatable raft or chute or anything like this, oxygen will come down. No, hold your breath. (laughs) So was that kind of experience. And when we got off the plane, Sandy and I were just sort of relaxed, you know, waiting. And they were shaking and so anxious, and Sandy and I were talking about our own attitudes, and one of us said to the other, you never wanna get on a plane like this, thinking that everything that you're called to do has already been accomplished. Because you wanna say to the Lord, there's tomorrow, Lord. There's another day, and with confidence, you have to know there's a future ahead. Sometimes when we're going through difficulty, we forget that and we think because we don't yet have what we've been hoping for and waiting for, we will never have it. But the fact is no one hopes for what they already have. That's a simple truth that the scripture reminds us of again and again. You don't hope for what you have, you hope for what you don't have. If you're sitting next to your husband or your wife right now um, you can turn to your husband or your wife and smile at him or her, say something sweet. If you like to, you can kiss her, you know, or him. That's good too. It's good to kiss your spouse in the synagogue, I think. You can hold hands, you can make lovey-dovey eyes. Googly eyes, as we used to say. But know this, you can't look at that person and say, I hope for a spouse. You can be thankful. I am sitting next to my husband. I'm sitting next to my wife. But if you said, while you're looking at your spouse, I hope for a spouse, it would imply you don't want this one. (laughs) But you do want the husband or wife who you have. And so you're not hoping for what you have. You only hope for what you don't have, and this is where the rub comes in. This is the difficulty. When we have waited longer than we think we should have, we start losing hope. And we have to pay attention to that condition because hopelessness is a specific condition that can undermine our considering God faithful, who is promised. And we have to deal with hopelessness. If you think about the unfulfilled promises in your life, those things the Lord has said he will do, and you remember them, you can stir yourself up by saying to yourself, he is faithful who promised. He is faithful who promised. And I can tell you this, this is the faith that overcomes. This is the faith that perseveres. This is the faith that obeys. And this is the faith that receives the promises of God. This is the faith that Sarah had. This is the faith that Abraham had. Now let's read another passage that describes Abraham and Sarah. Isaiah chapter 51. First two verses. Says this, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. In other words, those who are trying to walk with the Lord rather than those who are disregarding the Lord. We could say this is for the believers. Listen to me, all you believers. Who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. That's an interesting description. She gave birth to you in pain. And you might say to yourself, she didn't give birth to me. But if you consider yourself part of the household of faith, then know this, in a way she gave birth to you. But the scripture says, in pain. In pain. Say that with me. In pain. How old was Sarah? She was old. She was old when she gave birth. I think she was 75 when she got the word. Is that right? And she was 127 when she died, according to the Torah passage this week. It reminded me of a a friend of ours who she and her husband felt they should have as many children as they could, as God would enable them. And so they just kept having babies. And she had her fifth child when she was over 40. And that one was tough. In fact, she told us, and her husband told us about the experience in the labor room at the hospital. She was yelling at him. She was mad at him. She said, you will never touch me again. She said awful things to him. She cursed at him. And then, after she gave birth, she went into the ladies' bathroom and wrote on a magic marker, if you're over 40, never have a child. <laughs> and then she went home and got on with her life and happily, lived happily ever after. But she had this moment that was certainly pain for her. So I was thinking it was, this was pain for her at her age, but Sarah was twice that old. Can you imagine, moms, can you imagine being pregnant at 75 or 80, having to give birth? (sighs) In pain, she gave birth to you. When he was but one, the Lord says, I called him, then I blessed him, and I multiplied him. Remember Sarah. Remember Abraham, we're told. If you seek the Lord and you seek the righteousness of God and you want to follow him, look to the rock from which you've been hewn and the quarry from which you've been dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, your mother. Look to them. Look to the faith that they had and the faithfulness that they had. Sometimes the the trials of faith are not simply that you have to wait so long. It's that the promises may come late in life. There may be times when God makes a promise and it means that there's yet more ahead and maybe you're tired already. I can't imagine that a 75 year old woman thought, this is really great news. I'm going to get <laughs> I'm past childbearing age. You know, if you think she didn't understand that, you're not reading the text. Of course, she understood that it wasn't normal for a 75 year old post-menopausal woman to give birth. She even laughed, she chuckled at the thought, you know, we're supposed to have pleasure. I'm supposed to have a child, are you kidding? Are you kidding? And I think that could be read a couple of ways. You know, one is, you've got to be kidding. And the other one is, are you kidding me? And I think it's not difficult to imagine the emotions when a word and a promise like this comes so late, when when you think, why didn't you do this earlier? You could have done it earlier, but the Lord couldn't have done because he's the master of time. He understands time better than you and I do because he created time, space and the material world He's the master over it, and he knows what are the right times for things, even when we don't. Now let's return to Hebrews chapter 1 and look at this description of faith. It says, faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. It's the assurance of what we hope for. So remember that it's the assurance of what you don't have that you're hoping for. It's an assurance and it's a certainty of what you don't see. The nature of hope often is this. We're hoping for things that go against what we can see. The evidence indicates otherwise. There's plenty of reason. There's plenty of evidence to convince us that what we are hoping for could never happen. We can stay focused on the present circumstances and be convinced that the present defines the future. And if we don't yet have, we will never have. Now the war inside is this, if you know that God has promised, then it can go even against evidence. And it's not because you're stupid. So faith is not the suspension of your intelligence. It's the rallying of all of your intelligent faculties together with your trust in God, who is able and who is faithful. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. This is why the ancients were commended. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command and so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible, by faith. In other words, by our trust in God, we understand Genesis 1 verse 1 is true. What does Genesis say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We understand that the God created by his command, it wasn't an accident, it wasn't just that um, the universe spontaneously came into existence out of nothingness, it was by the command of God. So it was created out of something invisible. The visible world came into existence from the invisible world. And we're told that by faith, we can understand this. By faith, we understand. So let's repeat these words. By faith, faith. we understand. The word understand is to be interpreted in the most simple and normal way. Understand means we can use our intelligence and all of our rational faculties. By faith, we can rationally understand that the world came into existence by God's command. And the visible world was created from invisible things. Of course, some people say that is ridiculous. That's wishful thinking. But I can tell you that all moderns believe in invisible things, things they cannot see. Let me give two examples. Modern science tells us that atoms are made of subatomic particles. Neutrons, protons, electrons, and even these are not the smallest of particles or waves or forces of energy. But I can ask you this. If you stare really care for a long time and really carefully in a concentrated way, can you see an electron? (laughs) Okay, but you understand they exist. Let's take it at another level, not, not at the subatomic level. And you can use your reading glasses even for this. Look carefully at your chair for the microbes. <laughs> and not only that, look on your own hand for the microbes that are there. I can tell you this, that even with your normal glasses or your best, Normal eyes, you cannot see microbes, but do you know that there are microbes there? But you can't see them. So they're invisible, but they're real, right? So all of modern science tells us we need to believe in invisible things. Am I right? And it seems rational, right? The scripture says faith is also rational, and it understands something. It rationally understands that the universe, time, space, matter, came into existence because there is a God who created the universe by his own sovereign power and ability. And he spoke, and it came into existence. That's Genesis 1-1. And if you have a problem with Genesis 1-1, you'll have a problem with the whole Bible, and the whole universe. And you may as well stop thinking about microbes and think that you know, there are humors or other things that create sickness rather than microbes. And certainly don't use nuclear power, I beg you. Or magnetism, and so forth. So we're, t- we're told that the ancients were commended for having faith that applied to their understanding. It wasn't the suspension of understanding, it was with understanding. The visible world was made out of what is not visible. So in the same way that you know that there are electrons and protons and neutrons, and you know there are microbes, you have a way of knowing that what God says he will do, he will do. You have this capacity inside of you to respond to God the way Sarah did, the way Abraham did, even if there's evidence otherwise. And in fact, there's no way to live by faith unless you have hope and you know that the one who promises is faithful. Your part is not to make the promises of God. If you make up promises, they're not promises from God. If, if you just randomly look for the promises you want in the Bible and you say, that's for me, that's not the way it works. You could be 75 years old and say, I want a baby too. Give me a baby. I'm changing my name to Sarah. You can say to your husband, your new name is Abraham. That does not mean you're going to give birth to anything. It's not wishful thinking. It's not by being super spiritual or hyper religious. Faith is a response to God's initiative where you trust God and you believe him to be trustworthy. You consider him faithful all the way through until everything is done. There's no way to live by faith unless you know that he who promises is faithful, and unless you have hope. So you have to put your hopelessness to death, because it can never sustain you, and it will lie to you. Hopelessness will never say to you, but God is faithful. Hopelessness will never say, hang in there, persevere, because you can trust God. Hopelessness will always try to undermine your careful consideration of the faithfulness of God and will try to convince you that the promises God has made, that you know he has made, that you are certain he has made, the things you are hoping for, the things that you know he will do, hopelessness will try to tell you it's all a lie, you made it all up. So there's only one thing you can do to hopelessness, just kill it don't argue with it. Recognize it. Recognize that hopelessness will lead to despair. It will never lead to faith. And without hope, without faith, you will never consider God faithful who promises. And you will not receive what he has in mind for you. It will defeat you. So put your hopelessness to death and hold on to the one who promises. James describes it this way. James or Yaakov chapter two, you see that Abraham's faith was working with his actions and his faith was perfected by what he did. See, sometimes you need to not only believe internally, but you need to act externally according to what God tells you to do. If the Lord says, get up and go, leave this country, go to that other country, and you say, make me. (laughs) That's not faith, It's not obedience. If you say, yes, sir, and the Lord says, I'll tell you where to go after you start going, now you have the right to say, well, could you at least point me in the right direction? Yeah, head that way. Any news? <laughs> Am I getting warmer? And you learn to follow the Lord. The scripture was fulfilled in this way that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. In other words, believing God is not just giving a a nod to what God says, it's not just giving mental assent. It is a response of action that's appropriate according to what God says. As you can see, a man is justified by his actions and not by his faith alone. Because faith without actions, according to Yaakov, is it's dead, it's not alive. Now I wanna cover two things in order to close. One of them is from the passage this week, we read about Sarah being 127 years old. It's Genesis 23 and that she died in Kiryat Arba, which is also known as Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn Sarah and weep for her. And he bought a cave to bury her. And if you don't understand the text, you may have missed this, that the one who owned the property and who said, you know, what's 400 shekels between a man like you and me? That's how he was naming the price. He wasn't saying, I'm giving it to you. He's saying it the way a car salesman does. I'll give it to you for just, you know, 39.95 down. He was naming the price and Abraham understood and he paid the full price. We used to have a joke. It was why did God create Gentiles? The answer was somebody's got to pay retail. But Abraham paid retail, (laughs) he paid full price here. (laughs) He didn't negotiate, he didn't bargain, he didn't try to say, "I I want it for less. He didn't say, you know, there's another cave down the street It's even better than this for half the price. He paid the full price. And not only did he pay the price, he got the deed. So he, he owned free and clear a titled piece of property. And to this day, that property is in the same place and it's recognized for what it is. You can go to Hebron and you can go to the cave of Machpelah and you can go to the tomb of the patriarchs and the matriarchs and the Jews, the Christians, the Muslims all agree it's the same place. 3,700 years later, there's no dispute. When Abraham paid retail, he bought it free and clear. And it's still there, and it's still his place. So where where he buried Sarah, he was also buried. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah are all buried in the same cave. The only one who's missing is Rachel Rachel who's buried near Bethlehem where she died in childbirth. So it's just interesting, isn't it? That the scripture tells us something and then history, archeology, span and present day reality confirm it. And there are very few things that stay in in possession of the same owners over 3,700 years. But this is one. It's so interesting. Now here's, here's the last thought. I want to, to touch on the, one of the themes in this uh, Torah reading this week of um, Abraham commissioning his faithful servant to go find a spouse, to go find a wife for Isaac. To go back to the land that he had left, the land of his family and his fathers, to find Uh, someone for Isaac to marry and the servant of the Lord prays to God and, and, and begs God to lead him and to guide him and to bring him to the right place and the right person and to open his eyes so that he would recognize who she is and that she would respond because what if he knows who she is but she doesn't know who she is. And so she's not willing, but he's praying for success. And he's praying for success that, that this miracle child, this covenant child, Isaac, who's now a young man, who's bereaved, having lost his mother and buried her, uh, he's, he's now needing a wife. But he knows that God is faithful because Isaac exists. And he knows that God can be considered faithful who promises because Sarah considered him faithful and received. Now in Last week's Torah portion in Genesis 22, turn there. Abraham famously was preparing to sacrifice Isaac, but the Lord provided a substitute. And this passage is so well known, but the end of the chapter is often overlooked. There is a a passage at the end starting in verse 20 that you may have never taken notice of, but it indicates something about how God works in advance and how the things that may be invisible to you, the things that you may not even have paid any attention to, God is setting up. So it says, after all this, sometime later Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz the firstborn, Booz's brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Yilaf, and Bethuel. So Abraham hears the news about his extended family and that he has all these nephews now. But pay close attention to the very next verse. Bethuel became the father of... Of who? Rebecca. Rebecca. Milka bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. Buried right in there is this throwaway statement that's so easy to miss. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. It doesn't say anything about Rebekah. Likely you've read this and haven't noticed it over the years. How many are going, isn't that interesting right now? You see it. It doesn't say who Rebekah will be. It simply names her. Now go this week's, to this week's passage. Genesis 24 verse 15. Remember the servant of the Lord is now in this place. He's returned to the land and he's looking for that woman. And in this one verse, it says Rebekah the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor. There it is, right? Abraham's brother came out with her jug on her shoulder. Now we see who she is. That one who we didn't even notice, you know, is was like in the begats and all that kind of stuff. How many times do you skip over the begats because they just seem tedious? Like why bother me with these? I know the main characters. The scripture's teaching us something. Someone who turns out to be a main character isn't recognized at the beginning for who they are. But when the servant of Abraham goes and sees her, he realizes this is the one. And so the scripture is trying to teach us something. God prepares in advance. Rebecca was born in this family, in this way. Abraham even had news he didn't know who she was. He knew she existed but he didn't know who she was. And Abraham did not say to his servant, go get Rebecca. That would have been easy, right? But by faith, by trusting God, this servant went and considered God faithful who had promised and he found her And she said yes, she found herself in this way. Now you may be waiting. You may be waiting for a promise from God to be fulfilled and you may feel like you have nothing left, no strength left with which to wait. But I can tell you this, if you consider him faithful, and you know what he's promised. It's not your wishful thinking, it's not what you are wanting to, it's not your plan that you're trying to get him to say yes to, it's his initiative and what he promised to you. It may even be a struggle for you, but if you consider him faithful, who promised, keep on considering him faithful, and you will receive what he promised. Now I'm not talking about people who are, who are thinking, okay, I, I'm, I'm gonna snag me a husband right now. (laughs) Or I'm gonna have a baby, I know it, I know it, I know it. I'm not trying to speak to those specific things because I'm not talking about what you're trying to make up for yourself or even what you want for yourself. Those are different than your faithful response to what God has promised because he said, this is what I'm going to do. And your response to his promises are different than your responses to your own wishful thinking. But let me assure you of this, he finishes well. He fulfills what he sets out to do. And just like Rebecca was born and no one even noticed that she was the one until that servant came and recognized her. But the Lord knew what he was doing. The Lord was preparing in advance the right time, the right place, the right people, the right situation. And God can reignite in you that hope which you need in order to continue to consider him faithful. If you lose the hope, you won't be able to sustain the faith. So I want to pray for everyone who feels like they waited too long already. You haven't. You haven't. Lord, I pray that you will renew our hope. You will renew our faith. You will renew our strength, that we will mount up with wings as eagles. We will catch the wind of your Holy Spirit and we will be renewed. We will we will soar with you and that we would be like Abraham and Sarah, faithful to the end, that because we consider you faithful, because we obey, because we walk in faithfulness, we will receive all that you've promised not for our sake, but for your purposes, we pray. In Yeshua's name, amen. So let's close with Aaron's blessing, and then parents, please go get your kids. Do not forget your children. (laughs) Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha.